And welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast, episode 30. It's freaking amazing. Mark Marin celebrated his thousandth episode uh, a few weeks ago. I'm going to celebrate today's episode, episode 30, by welcoming Colin Wright to the podcast. I'm really freaking stoked for you to listen to this interview. It'll start soon. Um, I spoke to him a few days ago via Skype. It was actually my first Skype interview. Every interview guest I've had has come into my studio and, and had conversations about you know life, yoga, social media, um, DJing, music, etc. Colin has really become inspirational to me the last couple months. My friend Jen, you know, just been excited by my enthusiasm of the things that I've just been paying attention to. So. Um, I think, you know, when I thought of minimalism for so many years, I thought minimalism was about, you know, getting rid of items, not um, owning things that you really don't need. But Colin and Jen have really made me aware that it's more about an attitude, about self-awareness, really paying attention to the things that you allow into your life. And I think, wow, as an artist, as a creator, as a chef, or you've just, you don't even have to be an artist, just somebody who's alive, who's alive and really pays attention to the things that they bring into their life. I think Colin is somebody really worth paying attention to. He was living in Los Angeles, owned a branding agency, very successful, but at a very young age, he decided to give it all up. And uh, started to write, started a podcast, traveled around the world, basically allowing his followers on his blog to decide where he should be living for four months out of the year. He's gone on to write over 30 books. Uh, He's probably most well known for being a minimalist, but he also has a podcast called Let's Know Things. I'm just saying all this because I didn't really get the chance when I was interviewing him to just sort of throw accolades at him and just tell him how much I'm impressed and let people know that you have to pay attention to him because I think he really has a lot of interesting things to say. And I I read a couple of his books recently, one called Considerations, the other one Thoughts About Relationships. And again, I just think, you know, we get, our brains get so ingrained with the way we think whether it's by the way we're raised, our parents' thoughts, or the things that we consume via the media, things we read. And the thing that's so concerning to me is I just get the sense a lot of people now are not reading much. They're not having conversations. They're primarily in their free time just staring at Instagram or staring at their phones. I think we need to be reading more. I think we need to be asking questions and considering and just pay attention to what we're consuming day in and day out. And I just think it's something that I think sort of symbolizes the way Colin lives his life. So I reached out to Colin maybe a few weeks ago and asked him to come on the show. And he graciously said, yeah, so really excited for you to take a listen to the interview. Really couple quick housekeeping things here. Voyage LA, the magazine here in um, Los Angeles, obviously just released a a pretty cool article, a story about me and sort of my pursuits, my creativity, the podcast, and sort of where I'm coming from. So uh, I'm part of the Thought Provoker series in their magazine. And I I don't know, I think it's worth, if you really sort of want to have a sense of where I'm coming from, I think the article does a pretty good job. It's uh, voyagela.com or just type in voyagela in the old Google and it'll show up. 
back in the studio. Got a couple other songs coming at you. I'm really excited. Kevin Penner, my mixer, is mixing one right now in, in Hawaii, and I'm sort of finishing up the vocals on another one. And I'm also starting a Patreon, which you should probably, uh, you'll know uh, about it probably. By the time my next podcast releases, it'll probably be live, but it'll probably be patreon.com, Eddie Cohn. Just there's so many things I'm doing creatively with the podcast, writing, music, writing my book. Uh, teaching yoga, I've got. I, so, I also got hired to teach yoga at a new studio in Culver City, which opens in June. Uh, as we get closer to that, I'll let you know. Anyway, so just so much is going on, and a lot of my friends have been telling me I should start a Patreon to just get involved in my process so I could share more of it. And um, anyway, so yeah, keep an eye out for that. I guess that's it for now, but just super grateful that Colin made the time to come on the show, and I really hope you enjoy the interview as much as I did. So thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. Is it okay to, to actually look at you while we're talking, or is that weird? Yeah, no, that's totally fine. Let's see. As long as the my concern is that the Wi-Fi will be able to sustain it. Okay, um, got it. So if it starts to get clippy, then, then yeah, we can we'll get just rid of drop the video. It Otherwise, it's, it's yeah. fine to have it on. Part of the reason why I even asked that is the podcast is about creating face-to-face conversations. Mm. And you're actually the first guest that I've had where um, it's on it's via Skype I've had every I'm in Los Angeles so people come to my studio because I feel like because of social media because of the world we live in we don't have face-to-face conversations anymore we don't mm-hmm. because you know the nuances of staring at you and seeing you know eye to eye contact and seeing the body language all these sort of nuances really don't happen as often anymore because we primarily stare at our phones all the time and right yeah that's true i mean i so i would i would argue actually in some ways with certain things you can actually we are developing and we haven't gotten there yet in in the same way that we have with body language and things like that that have had generations to percolate but i i do think that we're developing new um technology augmented communication methods that i think could help us someday in terms of communicating more and empathizing with each other more and things like that. But we are at the early stages with that. And unfortunately, there's a lot of fairly toxic incentives in the mix right now that encourage us to communicate faster and more, but also communicate less as a consequence. Can you explain them a little bit as to what you're referring to where the technology could actually help us communicate more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I go back a lot to actually something that I didn't get at first, uh, emoji. I totally didn't Mm. understand it when I I was like traveling around the world and not texting people as a consequence, typically, when all of that was happening. So the early days of the smartphone, I did not have a phone actually for a full year. And the rest of it, I had like a feature phone where I could easily hot swap the SIM cards when I was going from country to country. And so when the emoji thing happened, it came to the US and it like became baked into all smartphone technologies, I wasn't texting anybody. 
And so when I came back and I, uh, to the U.S. and I was in the country for a little bit and finally had the opportunity to try these things out, I simply didn't understand it. It, it was something that had happened when I was away. It was something that seemingly everybody else understood in some way. And I was just like, what is this nonsense? I'm still texting like complete paragraphs to people using full punctuation right. and wondering why they don't seem to care. But <laughs> then after I used it for a while, I realized there's actually certain things that you can communicate fairly evocatively using these little emoji, especially in context, especially in the context of other conversations you've had with that person. This thing refers to this other time where we had this conversation about whatever and use right. this thing jokingly. So you can like reference back to those sorts of things. You can, uh, you can insert innuendo, you can insert additional nuance to a conversation using certain types of emoji creatively. Sure. It's something that, again, is not fully baked yet, but I think it gives an indication of what even a super simple technology, like little images being sent where we would typically use text, how that could be used. And that's not even getting into the more complex dynamic of things like virtual worlds, where we could then perhaps even in a more literal fashion experience things from somebody else's perspective for a time. Wow. To me, you sort of symbolize, I, I know a lot of people know, think of you as a minimalist, quote unquote, but you're so much more than that. I mean, you're a writer, you're an author, you're a traveler, you, you, I feel like you're an influencer. What's so interesting to me is that we think about Instagram influencers, but I think you're sort of a lifestyle in, influencer. The reason why I became interested in you and why Jen presented me to you is I think I'm thinking you know, below the surface in the sense that to really connect deeply with somebody, I think it requires more than, you know, the quick text, the quick emoji. And, and I think it requires getting rid of a lot of the distractions. When did you feel as though people may want to pay attention to the way that you live? That's a good question. Um, I mean, in 2009, when I started to do things a little bit differently, started to live a fairly uh, unusual lifestyle, started traveling uh, full time, that was when I started to actually write in narrative form about what I was doing more frequently, but then also trying to uh, compile what I was learning along the way into one for me, lessons, things that I was picking up along the way to make sure that I paused and assessed and stopped to appreciate those things that I was learning from other people and just from experiences along the way. But then I was also figuring out different ways to share them with other people. And a lot of that was through my blog, through newsletters, through right. books, things like but, that. But did you but, have the sense that, I mean, I think, of course, most writers are writing for themselves, but I think something must have clicked where somebody must have said to you, or maybe it was yourself, like, gosh, what you're writing is really freaking cool. And I think a lot of people could actually respond to this. I, I did have enough people over the years encourage me. Um, in, in a lot of cases, they were probably just being good natured about things. <laughs> and they saw that I was geeking out about this stuff and that I enjoyed investigating sure. uh, lifestyle choices and just really, truly random topics and different ways of looking at the world. And they, uh, they, they blessed me with that approval that then allowed me to feel more confident about it than some people might. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think you can, most people, anybody who's ever gotten approval in that way throughout their childhood can take it and and use that as the the seed that then blooms into whatever you want to turn it into. Right. And then it's just a matter of deciding what you're going to do with it. Yeah. Do you feel now like with technology becoming so 
over the top in virtual reality and just obviously cell phones and Instagram. I mean, do you feel as though people are connecting more with your message and, and are you feeling as though more and more people are reaching out and coming to you, come and watching you on tour and hearing what you have to say or. Yeah. And, and what's, what's been a lot of fun about it is watching how that's evolved over the years. Uh, part of the reason I brought up emoji earlier is because that was one of those holy crap moments for me where I was like, preemptively aging myself and deciding it was something that I couldn't get and therefore I didn't have to try. But as soon as I tried, I started to find some value in it. And the same thing happened later when like I was late to the party with podcasts relative to people who got into that early. But as soon as I allowed myself to consider that podcasts might be another medium that I can use to express some of the same things, some different things, but in a different way, reaching a different audience through a different mechanism, then that started to bring different people to the table, but also challenged me to learn to express myself in different ways. And the same is true whether I'm writing a book or posting something on Twitter or giving a talk in person on one of these tour stops. I, I tend to find that I am at my best when I'm vehicle agnostic and I don't focus too much on what the delivery mechanism is, except in that it, it kind of determines the shape that that message takes and the type of person who I'll probably reach with it. Yeah. You do ooze a lot of confidence. And I just, do you ever worry or wonder what people are thinking about a particular blog post or a book? Or do you, do you get insecure? Like, I hope people really respond. What I what I'm going to say here or, or you don't worry too much about the response and you just focus more on what you're, what you're writing. Yeah. I I think that's less about me and any personality trait that I have and more about just having done this for like a decade. Yeah. If, if you're really uh, thin skinned and self-conscious about that kind of thing, it is very difficult to publish. And if you can set up some kind of mechanism in your life, like a blog or a podcast or whatever else, And just know that it will be out there in the wild for other people to take however they like. They can misinterpret what you say and misconstrue who you are and have very superficial takes on who you are as a person. The more you're able to recognize that and accept that it's the nature of the beast to the better. And over time, you kind of get used to the idea that you can't convince everybody of everything. You can't make everybody like you. Not everybody's going to appreciate what you say. Not every idea is going to resonate with every single person. And it's, it's not something that's inherently bad. It's just something that is inherent to communication. I want to ask you about something that I've read in, uh, in your books and something that you brought up at your talk in LA a couple months ago, the idea of being biased. I think that's such an interesting concept and I really, I, you know, I focus a lot on my podcast about Instagram. I think that I think Instagram is affecting our culture in such a dramatic way. And I don't know if we really know yet, but I, you know, I believe Instagram and Facebook are doing what they can to manipulate people to stay on the platform. And then people are basically creating their own movie or their own Truman show and making themselves out to look as great and as knowledgeable as possible. So I think the biases now, it's not just the news media that has the bias or the opinion piece in the New York Times. I feel like even when we casually turn on our phones or Instagram or Facebook, just to see a, just to chill out for five or 10 minutes, everybody is sort of putting their best foot or their best life forward. And I think it's trickling down and affecting our brains. And I, I, I just think it's really intelligent and perceptive of you 
to think about how powerful being aware that you might be getting somebody's biased take on something and how did how explain how you even thought about that and why you think that's so important now oh thanks i to me i think that probably arrived in my uh, the the collection of topics that I, I like to talk about and and became something that I, I ruminated over a whole lot a, a core component of my um, my my current in development philosophy I guess you could describe it as uh, when I started to recognize my role as not just a communicator but a consumer of communication and I recognized how much everything I was taking in was then going back out in different different directions even if it wasn't something where it was a direct regurgitation it's everything I was soaking up every single day was in very large ways or very, very small ways influencing what I was putting back out whether because I supported it or disagreed with it or in a more neutral sense where it just kind of permeated the air in which that that I was breathing recognizing that in myself made it much easier to recognize it in the media that I was taking in and the media that I was putting back out and I think what what you're talking about with Instagram Instagram's not the first to do any of these things but they did it in a very very refined way and a very visual and accessible way and as a consequence they were able to take a whole lot of what's been done before and what continues to be done on other networks and they were able to I don't want to say perfect it because that implies that there's something like perfection here and that that it's something that we should aspire to. But they've they've taken a lot of those same motivations and a lot of those same methods and purposes and metrics of success and lumped them together into this kind of this super network that is aimed very specifically at a very specific age demographic Uh, because Facebook does a lot of the same stuff, but the people on Facebook are not as influential because they are not the target of the same marketers Hmm. that people on Instagram are. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when, when I first heard the term minimalist and this was years ago, I would think about objects, physical objects, but I like the way that you talk about it. It's, it's, it's more about being aware about what you're, bringing into your life, not just objects, but intellectually, the people that you have dinner with, the people that you're influenced by. And that's why, you know, my take on Instagram and why I'm kind of negative about it is if you're not careful. And I, and I, I think about the people that are in their teens and their twenties that are using that platform all the time, you know, their brains are influenced by that onslaught of of information and pretty pictures and do you think and it's a two-part question but the first part is do you think that this platform is toxic i mean do you think it's creating some toxic behavior in the world or is it something that we need to be careful of yeah um with the caveat that i think like any tool it can be used more appropriately or less appropriately depending on what your particular goals happen to be I do think that it encourages us to use it inappropriately for most of our goals, assuming that most of us do not want to be distracted all day and fed. Um, I don't want to say inessential because for somebody that might not be the case, but for most of us, it's not very beneficial to have a whole lot of our time and energy and psychological wherewithal invested in stuff that is not immediately meaningful to the things that we actually care about or our individual lives and concerns. 
And that is what it encourages us to do. It encourages us because of the the incentives that are in place for this for company for this company for Facebook and all of its other properties. Right. Um, they benefit and they flourish if we give up more of our attention and if we interact in various ways that they can measure. And these interactions don't have to be anything that benefit us. And most of them, when they optimize for that type of interaction and attention actually is anti-beneficial to us. It is something that can be harmful to us in different ways. In a lot of cases, and in most cases, it's kind of a weird neutral harm where it's not like smoking a cigarette, but maybe it is something like sitting quietly on the couch and watching television where it's not inherently harmful. You might be interacting with something valuable, something that inspires you, something that triggers something amazing and valuable, but chances are probably not. Chances are it's probably encouraging you to sit there and not be interactive and not grow in any way as opposed to actively harming you. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there are definitely things on these networks that are actively harmful in the sense that they make us feel a certain way about ourselves, make us believe certain things that are clearly not true if we look at any other sources. They transmit kind of idea viruses, like very uh, harmful memes. Uh, Memes in the sense of like a, a piece of idea material that's transmitted from person to person rather than meme being, you know, jokes on the internet. Right. <laughs> uh, but in most cases, I think the part of the reason that they can be so harmful is that they're not obviously harmful on a day-to-day basis. They yeah. are harmful in the way that they kind of suck away our time and energy. And that's something that conceivably, if we're really, really intentional about it, and this is something I, I go back and forth on, uh, back and forth with for myself, is making sure that I'm aware of what I want to accomplish with this particular tool and that I'm doing everything I can to get that and not suffer from the downsides of it. And if at any point I find myself unable to do that, or if any point the downsides outweigh the upsides, then to be able to walk away and know that you can and know that it will not destroy your sense of self or anything else about you in doing so. You're speaking my language. No, really. It's, it's so well said. And, you know, I talk a lot of, um, I, com- I criticize Instagram quite a bit and just what it's doing to our culture. But then somebody will respond and say something like, well, you use Instagram when you post, um, you know, a new, I'm a songwriter, I'm a DJ, and I have a podcast now, and I'm a writer. So obviously I'll use these, I'll use Instagram or Twitter to, to share what's going on. I think it's important to do. Um, I think if you're an artist or a writer, you would be foolish not to use these platforms because it's a great way to get people to see your work and to let people know that, hey, I just finished a book. I want you people to obviously read it and, and consume it. I think as long as you're aware or consciously know why you're using it and it's to be proactive, I think about sharing your product or sharing um your beliefs in the world. I think it's a powerful tool. I, I just think the brain has this way of being manipulated so easily. It's so soft. It's like it's um, it's like water in a sort of way. It can just move so uh, effortlessly to in any which direction. And yeah, and I mean it's it's important to remember too. I I tend to think that there are not any inherently evil tools or bad tools. It's about how we use them. But there are a lot of very intelligent, very highly paid people who are sitting around all day, every day, 
paid to figure out ways to get us to sit on these networks for longer durations, interacting in the ways that they care about that, again, don't necessarily help us. So these things can be useful, but we are kind of at an inherent disadvantage because of all these tools and techniques and the psychological research. There's things called dark patterns, which are means of building user interfaces that cause us to do things that we don't want to do. That we actively go in and say, I don't want to do this, but then we're kind of slowly, subtly, subconsciously manipulated into doing things that we don't want to do because of the colors that they use, where they place the buttons, changing up the interface partway through a multi-step process. It's very, very clever. Like it's the type of thing that once you look into it, you have to appreciate how conniving it is. It's like really (laughs) well done conniving machinations. But unfortunately, it's something that we are typically the target of. And it's not evil people who are doing this stuff. It's people who are part of a system that encourages them to propagate that system because the system itself requires those types of actions to flourish. Now, I think there's ways that we could probably move these tools in a slightly different direction. But, I mean, current economic conditions don't really encourage that, unfortunately. Right. How, you know, obviously I read your story and saw you speak a couple uh, months ago. I just think your level of self-awareness is really high. And I I know you were talking, you were living in L.A. at the time. And you were, was, was it a graphic design or web design company that you had created? It was a, a branding agency. A yeah. branding agency. Yeah. And at what age did you realize being at this company that this just, this isn't for me. I'm I because I, I, I could see why somebody maybe 35, 40 or 50 comes to this realization. But you were really pretty young to have this realization to, to, to say to yourself, I, I can't really do this anymore or I don't want to <laughs> do this anymore. And then yeah. so just and then I guess the next part of the question is to turn that into becoming a minimalist and getting rid of everything but 51 items, 51 or 52? Uh, oh, it's hard to say. I think it might have been 52, but 52. It was, I, I stopped counting at a certain point because I, I realized I was accidentally communicating to people that minimalism was about the number of things you have, yeah. which is not it, that's, the case. It, like, that's, how I used to, that's what I used to think it was about until really reading about you. And But I just think, can you explain that process a little bit of emotionally what you were experiencing and then to come out of it where here you are traveling the world writing you you've written over like 30 books i think at this point something like that yeah, yeah. I, I mean yeah. it's really no it's really i don't know there's just something about you and the way that you live that i think is so inspirational so i just would love for you to backtrack a little bit and talk about that process of sort of what was going on when you left your job and then the process of deciding to really change your lifestyle. Uh, thanks. I appreciate that. I, um, so I was 24. This was in 2009, a little bit older now. And this is in Los Angeles. This is Los Angeles though. This is Los Angeles. Yeah. And I, I was running a branding studio. It was my third business. So I'd been kind of doing the work hard, play hard thing since I was 19. Had that, that entrepreneurial dream before it was cool. So I, I didn't get the credibility <laughs> until much yeah. later. Back when Facebook became popular, that's when people were like, oh, entrepreneur, how cool. Up until that point, I was the weird dude running my, my business in school and being very broke while doing it. Right. Um, 
But this business did really well, and I, I worked my ass off and was very apartment poor for a while, and then ended up in this nice townhouse over close to the beach, and was living a version of the the kind of stereotypical, I guess, American dream in terms of possessions and housing and having a a job that people uh, appreciate as being a credible job, and. I kind of hit the far end of a pendulum swing, I think. It, like it swung all the way out to the far extreme and mm-hmm. I had a moment of realization that this was just not something that was sustainable. But on top of that, it was not something that was actually allowing me to do the stuff that I cared about or accomplish any type of success by metrics that were actually meaningful to me. And I was in fact putting aside the things that I could be doing to meet those metrics, which were is trying to see the world from different angles, trying to three-dimensionalize my view of things, trying to challenge my own perceptions, trying to learn. Here I was sitting around, like just earning more money for the sake of earning money, rather than spending that money and my other resources on the stuff that I was telling myself was actually a priority. And so that that whole twist and change was the consequence of me having a moment of stunning realization that I was wasting everything that I had and that I was working toward a goal that was not mine, something that was handed to me by people like me, people Mm. who were trying to sell stuff like nonsense, inessential things to other people. Uh, I had been sold on this idea that that's what success looked like. And, you know, it's, it says something that people who work in branding and marketing and everything else still fall prey to their own tricks. Interesting. Uh, Like I said, with the social media stuff, there's a lot of very clever, innovative stuff happening in that space that even if you know what's happening, it still works. So that, that, that speaks volume about the power of these things. But fortunately, I had the opportunity to recognize that. And when I did, I decided that the risk of dramatically changing everything and getting rid of all the stuff that I accomplished more or less and moving in a completely different direction was worth that risk because the, the alternative route that I could take I could continue moving along that same path, continue running the same race that I've been running for the past several years and maybe finish that race and then get to the end and realize, oh, I actually want to be over on that other track. I'm actually, I don't want to be running a race. I want to be doing this other sport entirely. I want to be free swimming or something. So the idea of winning at a game that I didn't want to be playing didn't make sense to me. And so that risk giving up all of this stuff that to a lot of people by a lot of standards was stuff that you wouldn't want to give up. It didn't seem like such a big deal. I mean, there was a lot that I was concerned about and a lot of things that frightened me. Well, give me one thing. Give me, give me one thing that you were thinking about that you were possibly worried about. I mean, my, my credibility, I, I had worked really, really hard to be a dude. I, I started my first business when I was 19, as I mentioned, and I'd always been the youngest kid in the room doing business with all of these other people who are far far older and far more experienced than me. And so it was a tooth and claw fight to get credibility within my space. And the fact that I had achieved some pretty decent sized clients and had done pretty well within my space by my early 20s, that was something I worked really hard for and it was something that I defined myself by. I didn't know who I was without that particular professional credibility. So giving that up actually more than anything else was something that I was really disconcerted by because I had no idea who I was if I didn't have that claim to fame.
Now, were you writing as a kid, or when did you start to write? Or was writing? How did you know that you were? You're. I read Considerations. I read the book about relationships this weekend. I'll, I'll talk about Considerations in a second. But how did you know that you enjoyed writing? I've always been a very big reader. Actually, I worked at an independent bookstore for five years from high school into college. And it, mostly not because of the pay, definitely. Anybody who works <laughs> at any bookstores knows you don't do it for the pay. Right. You do it for the discount on the books. Yes. Uh, and, and so that was kind of always my my addiction is just reading, reading, reading constantly. I was the kid that was reading at recess rather than playing with the other kids. So even though I didn't really consider myself a writer until high school. And in high school, I started to get into journalism. So I did a lot of journalism style writing, uh, AP format and writing columns and things like that. But even at that point, I, I wouldn't have called myself a writer. I was an artist. I, I went to school for, for painting and then segued into design. That's so it right. wasn't, yeah. the writing thing didn't really emerge until later after school. Um, when I moved out to LA, I started a blog and then that experience with blogging fed in to Exile Lifestyle when I started that, when I decided to leave L.A. Right. How quickly did it start Exile Lifestyle take off in the sense that when did you get the sense that you need to keep doing this because people are really catching on? There was actually two phases with it. The, the original phase of Exile Lifestyle, it actually took off pretty quickly. And, mm. and a big part of that was circumstance. Um, the, the story of my career, I think, has in part been a story of right place, right time, where I got in right at the right moment when a technology was not oversaturated and mainstream yet, but was just about to hit that point. So right. with blogging, with self-publishing, with podcasts, I got in at a pretty good moment with each of those. So that a, a lot of any success I might have ties back to that happenstance. But I also had a particular story where I had this credibility that I could point to and say, here's entrepreneurship stuff that I can tell you about, but also I achieved this level of success and I'm giving it away for this other type of success that I want to pursue. But also I got rid of everything that I owned and I'm letting my readers vote on what country I'm going to move to next, which was a fairly compelling, it, it was partially marketing gimmick, but a lot of it yeah. too was just that I didn't know where to go. And so I decided to foist that responsibility on everybody else. And it ended up being a really great way to draw people in pretty quickly. So it wasn't just about leaving your job and creating a new lifestyle. I feel like you also, well, it was about creating a new lifestyle, but you also wanted to travel as well. That was the core component of okay. it. I didn't know exactly what my life would look like, but I knew I needed to get the hell out of Dodge. I mean, I, I had never left the country, and it was something that – it's not a huge deal for people who don't want to. Like if you don't want to travel, I'm not dissing that, that priority. But for me, it was something that I told myself was this big priority, this life goal of mine. And yet here I was sitting on all the resources that I needed to do it and not doing it. Yeah. which it was a huge mismatch of, of uh, priorities and actual um, action. And then how did you come up with the idea of having people vote where you're going to travel? I mean, <laughs> but you're, it's funny. It is sort of marketing you're gimmicky, but it, it, it works. I mean, obviously it's worked, but yeah, how did you yeah. I mean, the, the, the thought process for me was one, I really didn't know where to go. So I figured everybody else was a more credible source for that type of decision than me. But two, I really wanted to get other people involved in thinking about it as well. So the idea, uh, and this is actually a big part of why I continue to use Instagram as well. 
putting stuff out into the world that gets people thinking about where they would go. And hmm. I've had so many people email me over the years that thinking about where they would go, voting for where I should go, made them realize, you know what, I actually really want to go to that place. I'm going to put it on the calendar. I'm going to figure out a way to make that work. And the same with other types of messages and social media and things like that. Put out an image of a place that people didn't know existed, and it may catalyze some kind of action. You're so logical in the way that you're explaining <laughs> it, which is really... But I, remember, I don't know if you remember the question I asked you in L.A., but your response to what was going on in your life could be looked at as being a bit extreme. And then having people voting where you should live and move every four months is, I mean, is pretty extreme, I would think, or at least somewhat extreme, and I, in, in all due respect. And I'm, I was wondering, and then the, the two gentlemen that were, I just watched the Minimalist documentary, and I suddenly uh, forgot. Josh and Ryan. Josh and Ryan. Yeah. I asked all of you, does it require an extreme level of exhaustion or frustration or burnout to respond with this sort of minimalistic attitude or, or approach to living your life? Or is it something that it can subtly start to enter your life? I mean, what, what has been your experience traveling around the world talking about minimalism? Um, are you, are you seeing a lot of people who are just burnt out and, and, and not enjoying their lifestyle or, or is it possible to enter this world slowly, but surely? I think it's, it's more desirable to enter it slowly, but surely like the, the people who are smarter than me are more self-aware <laughs> than me. They're the ones that are getting out there sooner rather than later. And, and actually that's, again, one of the benefits of these tools that we have, if we use them appropriately is being able to benefit from each other's experiences so that we don't have to reach the end of that pendulum swing rather than getting to that point where we've spent decades of our lives working toward goals that don't matter. We can look outward and see something somebody else has done and then use that as the spark for a personal realization that, hey, actually, you know what? I haven't reached that point yet, but that's kind of right. That's I'm Why am I working toward this goal that is not actually meaningful to me? And I'm seeing that all over the place, especially as we're able now to look across borders, look across cultures, look up, uh, across different groups that we categorize ourselves into. We are able to learn from other people's experiences, people like us and people that we consider to be dissimilar from us. And then we can take the ingredients that are meaningful to us from their recipe and implement it in ours. And then at the end of the day, you do see, I think, I mean, this I don't have real data for this, but anecdotally, the people that I've been hearing from, I've been hearing from a whole lot more people who are being smarter about it than I was because they're not letting themselves reach that point of burnout and exhaustion and an extreme version of both things. Instead, they are making the decision to incrementally do it. They're making a slow transition, giving themselves a longer runway, not reaching a point of like dramatic uh, overindulgence or dramatic overwork. They are basically saying, hey, things are fine, but I could see how they might get to that point. So probably a good idea to start a, like a really slow turn down a different path as right. opposed to having to hop completely, you know, in a 90 degree angle. Yeah. Well, I think about a year ago, I was sort of going down the rabbit hole of marketing people on, on Instagram. There's this group of marketing people that, if you want to make more money on Instagram or if you 
want more followers or get more attention. You need to post certain ways and and post flashy videos and and be sort of over the top and outrageous and get attention that way. And then and to me that's and you even write about it in, in considerations. One of the or things to consider. One of your chapters is about outrage and sort of how that's our culture or that's what's happening to our culture now. And I had this because I started writing a book about a year ago and it's not done. But I was at the beginning of writing the book, I was realizing it's I'm having a really hard time focusing and I'm having a really time, hard time writing. And I realized I, I was going down that rabbit hole of I need to be flashier. I need to be mm. doing more revealing photos on Instagram or be more outrageous. And then I think I was talking to Jen and a couple other people and I realized what the heck am I doing? It's it's that's not who I am. Because mm, yeah. I've been an artist and a creator since I was like the age of three. I started writing or playing piano, and and I had this epiphany, and I realized that my life is turning into something that I'm not. But it does feel like the outrageous, the yelling, the screaming, the being over the top. That sort of behavior is what is attracting a huge part of our culture, and I don't want to get political here, but even the way Donald Trump is behaving, whether you agree with him or not, it's getting a lot of attention. I mean, you've clearly found a niche niche by not being outrageous and over the top, and that's why I respect you and admire what you're doing. But what would you say to those people out there where I feel as though Instagram and the world is telling people that you know you need to be over the top and you need to be loud and vexatious and and what would you, what would your piece of advice be for maybe the introverts in the world or sort of the soft spoken ones? Yeah. Um, so there's a way of looking at social media that I think allows you to recognize it for the valuable thing that it could be, but also recognize how it could very easily go sideways. Um, I am not a big fan of posting selfies. I mean, I'll do it sometimes, but like, I don't think people want to see photo after photo of me. They want to see the places that I'm going. And even if I do get evidence that people just want more photos of me, well, sorry, I'm not going to sit around and take photos of me all day. I want to share the places that I'm seeing, the stuff that I get to see that not everybody gets to see and try to share that with more people. One way to look at that is that I should serve my audience what they appear to be looking for. Another way of looking at that, though, is that it's very, very possible to have your life and your metrics of success give way to somebody else's metrics of success Mm. or to be dominated in a way by the pull of a certain type of shapeless crowd think that that crowd think might be shaped by metrics that are not their own metrics. It may be that they're served tons of selfies and therefore people demand more selfies, not because they want more selfies but because that's what they are served by the algorithms at Instagram. We respond physiologically, psychologically to faces, to images of people in a way that we don't respond to landscapes. And that's Mm. something that grabs us by the emotions. And that is something that gets us to click more, which gives them more metrics to work with and causes us to spend more time on these things. So, One, it's important to recognize what you're doing it for. There's nothing inherently wrong with trying to serve an audience the best that you possibly can, but that's a really great recipe for burnout, and you should know exactly why you are doing it and be aware of the fact that you are doing that. Um, Second, 
it is possible to build a brand that is not you. And I would not recommend this. In the branding world, we call that black hat branding, like from the old cowboy movies. The good guy wears the white hat, the bad guy wears the black hat. So white hat branding is taking something that's already there and telling the story of it, communicating it in a way that is accessible to the people that you want to reach. That's all branding is. Um, Black hat branding is doing the same thing, but making something up and making it seem as if this company or this person is something that they are not. Most people are given incredibly bad advice about social media. They are told to make something up or to make things seem as if that are not actually real. And that's something that can make you a success according to the metrics of success that we are handed, again, by these algorithms that favor things that are not our happiness or us putting value into the world. But it's also kind of shouting through a bigger and bigger megaphone and not shouting anything of note. It's like shouting noise through an increasingly large megaphone. Like, yes, you might have more followers and more people might see your stuff, but you're putting nonsense into the world. You're putting uh, false information into the world. What at the end of the day then is the point of having that megaphone? If you're not able to communicate something important and real, again, there are reasons or there are situations in which that might not be the case. Maybe you're intentionally communicating some kind of fictionalized story. Maybe you're, you know, amplifying hyperbolically some version, some aspect of yourself. There's a lot of reasons why you might do that. But in general, most of us should probably communicate more things that are true, more things that are totally and completely us. One, because nobody can be a better us than we can. So if you focus on spending more of your time figuring out how to communicate you and your uniqueness to the world, you might have a slightly smaller megaphone, especially at first, but at least you're shouting something important, something of note, something unique and novel into the world rather than just shouting more of what the person next to you is shouting, which is also noise that is nonsensical and not valuable to anybody. But then also like holistically taking a step back it's really, really vital to figure out why. Like, why in the first place are you doing any of this? Before you even look at your brand or your message or your niche or anything else that you're trying to carve out, figure out what your motivation is. And for me, something that I decided really early on is that I could probably, if I wanted to, and I I had this opportunity actually very overtly offered to me several times in terms of opportunities to publish with bigger companies or to host Mm -hmm. TV shows or whatnot to become a simplified, dumbed down version of who I am. And there are, there might be rationales for doing that in some cases though, or, or two, but it's important to be aware of the choice that you're making and decide how you're going to use this tool toward what end and then become better at using it in that way. And that means in a lot of cases, at least the conclusion that I came to is making the choice to post more landscapes rather than doing selfie after selfie, selfie after selfie, despite the fact that the algorithms favor one more than the other. I continue to enjoy posting what I post. My numbers slowly but surely grow, which allows me to get an audience who actually wants to be there Hmm. as opposed to people who are doing it because they've been tricked into clicking on something. And it's something that allows me to see this as a tool that I use as opposed to a tool that is using me as a tool. Where are you? You're in Seattle now. Yeah. So are you you there for, is this your four-month trip, right? Or, Or is this where you are for four months? No, so I'm still on tour right now. So I'm okay. actually on tour around North America uh, okay. through the middle of the year. Where are you going next after the tour? I'm not sure yet. Actually, oh, so you don't know. <laughs> okay, have you put it out to your to your readers? Um, have they given you suggestions, or what's what's going on? 
I'm not positive. So I actually recently, fairly recently, started dating somebody who lives in London. So okay. I'll probably be spending more time there, and I might use that as an excuse to go <laughs> spend some time in London, yeah. and then use that as a jumping-off point to do like a UK and European wing of my tour. Do a lot of people know about you in, in Europe? Yeah, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm super fortunate to have a pretty diverse audience uh, in all different ways, just different groups, sure. different walks of life, different economic situations and different countries all over the world. It's pretty um, diffuse out in the world. Wow. When you pick up and move somewhere, what do you do? To, are, you Airbnb, are you doing an Airbnb thing? Are you going to a hotel or renting a room in a house or, you know, what's, what's going on? You, you have to be sort of preparing yourself a little bit for the fact that you're going to be moving somewhere for four months or what's, what's your process there as, as you settle in? Actually, when I go to a place for four months, typically my, my methodology is to get a night or two at a hostel or a hotel or an Airbnb and then walk around and then find an apartment that I can rent somewhere. Because uh, that way, like if you're buying stuff online, if you're renting stuff online, one, you can't see the area first to make sure it's where you want oh, to be. Right. Yes. Two, you are typically paying tourist prices. And that's usually going to be three or four times what you would pay if you just show up and then take a look around and negotiate in person. So I found, for me at least, I like to check out the area, make sure I'm in the part of town I want to be in. But then you also get a sense of people. You get to meet the actual landlord rather than going back and forth with emails. And you typically do pay substantially less uh, than you would for a place that's going to advertise for people coming in internationally. Because you'd, like, you'd walk up to the, the apartment building or wherever and, and you'd say, I want this place for four months. And they're obviously going to give you a good deal as opposed to reaching out to them you know, via yeah, Airbnb or something. But- Potentially. And in a lot of cases, too, it saves them money because they don't have to pay platforms online. Um, and it's something, too, where in a lot of cases, then you could take advantage of uh, of unusual situations where they're looking for a tenant for two years, but there's nobody there and all the students just left. So they don't think they're going to get anybody. So you can negotiate then, hey, I want the place for four months. But if you get somebody else who wants to come in for two years, give me a week's notice and I'll move out and find another place. And then you can usually, because of those weird in-between situations, take advantage of that uh, in a way that makes everybody happy. Yeah. Wow. Uh, how are you with time? Is it okay that I'm asking a couple more questions? Or you're... Yeah. yeah totally. Okay. You're like, yeah, this, I haven't told you, but this is actually a four-hour interview. So <laughs> we only have three more hours to... No, I'm kidding. Um, I guess when you're not writing... When you're not podcasting on tour, I mean, do you love, you know, food or do you love to exercise? Do you like to surf or do you like to play basketball? Just, just yeah, when you want to I get mean, your I, mind off of, off of this lifestyle I'm, for a moment. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty versatile. I, I tend to find inspiration and happiness in just about anything. Uh, even stuff that, that I don't think that I'm going to find inspiration or happiness in. I like to go into it looking for the perspective that will allow me to enjoy it. But given my druthers, like when I go to a new city, I, I go to museums. One of my minors okay. in school was art history. I'm a huge fan of art in general. Music in general, I've been playing guitar since I was 15. Uh, I, I love, so I, I was on the ultimate Frisbee team when I was in school. So things like that, just playing a pickup match of something or another. Uh, I run, I listen to a whole lot of podcasts. What are your not what? to what podcast what podcast do you really enjoy right now? Oh, you know what? Let me actually pull it up because it, it <laughs> varies from week to week. I just finished listening to a series called the RFK Tapes from Crime Town, which was pretty good. 
um, I listen to a whole lot of news podcasts like the Intelligence and the BBC Global News podcast. Intelligence Squared U.S. Debates is one of the better debate format podcasts that I listen to. Um, oh, there's like the heart and death, sex and money are really interesting because they talk about different sorts of relationships and tell pretty compelling stories. I've started listening to one called the Aria Code recently, which is kind of like Song Exploder, if you've ever heard that, but for opera. It's opera, something that I didn't really know anything about, but that's kind of what I mean by liking to to pick up whatever and find the interest in it. Um, Recently, I've been really interested in learning more about opera, and it started because of that podcast. Wow. I felt as though, at least for me, the way that I'm inspired in my personal experience, I've noticed is when I'm around particular energy. When I go to a show, I'm a singer musician. When I go to a show, nine times out of 10, by being there and experiencing it, I'm inspired. And I typically you know, would go home and play piano. Um, I'm, I'm not inspired by the things that I see on Instagram or Facebook or, um, you know, a, a good movie will inspire me conversations have been really inspiring for me being in the room with somebody talking to them hearing their story experiencing the sound of their voice the nuances of 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 their body language um, connecting and staring and looking at somebody in their eye as we're having a conversation i i created the podcast because i felt as though the things that i'm just talking about right now aren't happening happening as much anymore. When I go to a restaurant, people are staring at their phones. A lot of times I'll look at couples and they're not even talking to each other. Um, they're just looking down and, and not communicating. And, and I think this is taking over our society and our this way of life is sort of taking over our culture now. And I wanted to bring more awareness to the effects of social media and Instagram. I'm a yoga teacher also. I'm I'm doing all these things. And I feel as a yoga teacher, it's important for people to be connected to their own thoughts, their own thinking, because Mm -hmm. in that clarity, you can make your own decisions and not be biased or influenced by others, but actually be clear-headed and make your own. So all of these things had been percolating in my mind and I felt you know it felt appropriate to start a podcast and it started out where I'm sort of giving my views on Instagram and the world and how it's important to be aware of of what you're digesting but I also felt I wanted to have people on who could share their story and their perspective and bring the art of conversation back into our lives because I just, I don't think, for me, as I was saying at the beginning, talking to somebody and and hearing where they're coming from, I, I just, it's really inspiring to me. It, it fills my soul. And, and I've been writing more now than ever before. I'm not paying attention to useless stuff on Instagram as much anymore. I... I just feel inspired. And so I think Jen, shout out to Jen one more time. She, I think knowing this transition that was happening in my life, she thought that you were somebody that I should be paying attention to. And I can see why, because you represent 
the anti social media, the anti <laughs> the anti screaming though, the anti grabbing your attention with the over the top. You're grabbing people's attention with depth, with intelligence, with subtlety. And even I love the book your I forget the exact title, Things to Consider. Is how do what's the name of the book exactly? It's just consideration. Just considerations. There, there, there's a lot of words on the, the cover. Right, that's what it is. But I love that, even that concept of consider. Just, I don't think people are willing to consider like you're willing to consider that maybe, you know, social media could be creating more problems than good. Um, and, and, you know, when I have people on, I just want them to consider why are you doing the things that you're doing? Why are you posting selfies all the time? Or I don't, I don't think we're really aware as to why we're doing things the way that we are. And I think your approach, you're not banging over somebody's head. You're just merely asking people to consider, turn off all the noise and consider that maybe there's another way to live your life. And I think I'm just blown away. I'm so glad Jen introduced me to you because I think you could be really inspiring to a lot of people. And I'm last question before I let you go. I, I'm wondering if like Hollywood has reached out to you to sort of turn your life into a movie or something because, <laughs> and if, if it's something that you would actually consider. If, if it was done the right way, there, okay. there's been a couple of conversations like that there over happened. the years, but it's never been the the right situation. Yeah. There, there's a lot uh, that can happen in those sorts of industries that'll turn things into something that they're not. And sure. I am very keen to avoid uh, taking something that I care about and turning it into a, a flattened fast food version of sure. what it's supposed to be. Well, Colin, it's Colin Wright. Um, Exile Lifestyle. He can be found all over the internet. You don't know where you're going to be next, so I can't I can't say where you're going to be next. So many inspirational things to think about. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It means the world to me, and I think a lot of people should be paying attention to you. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And thank you again for having me. Thanks, Colin. Um, have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. Great talking to you. Thanks, man. Bye. See ya.